Why don't you go ahead and pull out your Bibles and your notes as we get into the Word of God this morning. You can open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6. It's next door to Ephesians, so we're staying in the neighborhood. All right, I'm set. Galatians chapter 6, we'll get there in just a second. It's good to see all your beautiful faces this morning. So I love this view from up here. Something that uh, Heather and I have been trying in our parenting recently is that when our kids aren't uh, acting right, and one of the other one tells on them and comes and tells us, we say, there's no way that other child would do that. He is, he is sweet. <laughs> he, he's sweet, and he wouldn't do that. She's so kind, and that's not what a kind person would do. And we try to say it so that they can both hear it. You know what I'm saying? So last night, uh, I was with one of my children, who prefers not to be named. Uh, I was with one of my children, and this child said, Dad, what are you doing when you say stuff like that? What are you doing when, uh, I said, what are you talking about? And this child brought up a specific scenario and said, you know, I wouldn't share this thing. And when my sibling told on me, I was sitting right there, and you said, there's no way that your sibling would do that to you. What were you doing when you said that? And I said, well, I laughed, first of all. And then I said, well, I'm, I'm trying to prompt you into acting like who you really are because you're kind and you're sweet, but sometimes you don't act like it. And so I'm trying to kind of remind you of who you are and prompt you to start doing that. that. That's what I'm trying to do in those moments. And I received silence in return to that beautiful parenting explanation. <laughs> But as we continue our series this morning, We the Church, we're, I'm, I'm going to kind of go down that lane this morning. I want to I use that strategy in communicating with you this morning because we have talked about that we the church are God's possession, his possession. We are his temple. We are his body. This morning we're talking about we the church are his people. You can write that at the top of your notes for this morning. We are his people. And my aim this morning is to do for us what I tried to do with my child last night. My aim is to bring us, the church, bring us to Jesus so we can hear from him about who we are, not according to our preferences or our opinions or our experiences, but who are we according to him. And my prayer is that as you and I, as we hear from him, we will be spurred on. We will be empowered. We will be prompted and encouraged and convicted to live more in line with what it is that he says, with who we are according to his word. So Galatians chapter 6, go ahead and stand for the reading of the word of God. We've just got a couple of verses, and I sprung it on the slides team. I just changed this, so we'll see if they got it. Ephesians 6, a couple of verses this morning, 14 through 16. But far be it from me to boast except... In the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. A new creation is what counts for everything. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for this gathering, this time, 
and space to come together with these people, to come under your word, to lift up the holy name of Jesus. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence with us, for your power. We thank you that you love us enough to be with us this morning and that you love us enough to shape us into the image of Christ. And we pray that you would do that by your word. Like I was just explaining, God, I pray that not, not that we would come to Andrew's sermon, but that we would come to you and we would hear you prompting us into who we are as your people. And we come right now, we posture ourselves uh, humbly before you and we are anticipating responding to what it is that you lead us into personally and corporately through your powerful living word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Go ahead and take a seat. The people of God, the verses we just read, says this phrase, the Israel of God. So if you've read much of the Bible, Israel is kind of a big deal, spoken of a lot. And that Israel is the people of God. If you kind of know your, your Old Testament, if you know your Bible, Israel is the people of God, but then we are the people of God. And we're talking about being the people of God. And what does that have to do with, with Israel? Now, I know me even just saying that, I'm like, wow, we just took a left turn. Like, that was the right. <laughs> a left turn. I did that earlier this week in a different scenario that we don't have time to talk about and make fun of myself. But here we are. It sounds like it's a left turn to be like, oh, church, we the church, the people of God, the worship's amazing. Let's talk about Israel. It's kind of, just stick with me though, because it's not a left turn at all. The Old Testament, as we dive into this big concept of the people of God, and I should say this, I, even I am nervous about how much I have to preach this morning. So we got to just buckle up. And so the Old Testament centers the conversation about the people of God around Israel. And there's a really good reason for that. The reason is because Israel and the Old Testament are the people of God. So, of course, this conversation would center around that. But, but where does that leave us? Where does that leave us? Those of us who aren't ethnically Jewish. Those of us who aren't uh, we, don't, we aren't of, of national descent of the political state of Israel. Where does that leave us? How are we the people of God if, if Israel is the people of God? And when we read the New Testament, there's still a lot of Israel. There's also a lot of Gentile. So there's a lot of conversation about Israel and not Israel, Jewish and not Jewish. Geographically, Jesus spent his life in Israel. But geographically, Paul spent most of his ministry going outside of Israel. Ethnically, Jesus himself said, I come for the Jews first. But then he tells his disciples to go to all nations, all ethnic, all ethnic groups, all people groups. Politically, there's a lot of dynamics between Israel and not Israel. There's a lot of politics between Jewish leaders and Roman leaders. These politicians conspiring together are the ones that work together politically to crucify Jesus. And then the rest of the New Testament, Jesus and or Jesus' followers are navigating different political climates throughout kind of the world at that time. And then there's a lot of conversation religiously about Israel, not Israel, Jews, not Jews. Some books of the New Testament were originally written for Jews, to Jews. Some were for Christians who were Jewish background converts to Christianity. Some books were written for Gentiles first, dealing and trying to deal with the Jews who were trying to manipulate the gospel that the Gentiles had believed. Some were 
written to both converted Jews and converted Gentiles who didn't know how to live together. Even though they were both converted into Christianity, they still had their Jewish, non-Jewish thing going on kind of in their natural life. So this is actually kind of a big thing when we talk about the people of God. What does it mean to be the people of God? This, this isn't a, a left turn thematic, thematically as we look at Scripture and go through this series. This isn't a peripheral topic throughout Scripture. This isn't of secondary importance when it comes to concepts that we need to understand as Christians. This dynamic and, and, and understanding of Israel, but us, the people of God, who, what, when, how, all of these sort of things, it matters. We've been talking about this series. We're talking about, we're calling it We the Church, but what we're dealing with is our ecclesiology as Christians. What is our theology of church and our understanding of Jews, not Jews, all this sort of thing? It matters to our ecclesiology. It matters to our, our soteriology, our, our theology of salvation. And it matters to our, our Christology, our theology of who is Christ and what does it mean. And I'm trying to use a few big words for the people who really want them. If you don't like those words, we're not getting into all this stuff today anyways. <laughs> but it matters. It matters to us in more ways than one. The last few weeks I've started by telling you that you're going to have to work as you listen to me preach. And like I said, this week's no exception to that. You're going to have to work intellectually this morning because we're going to cover a lot of information. And all of it is, is deep and layered, but I'm going to try to only venture in as much as we have to for right now. And my prayer is that uh, you're either satisfied with how deep we go and you're like, I'm good to just leave that there. Or if you're like, I'm interested, I want to go there, I have at least given you a good jump off point as you dive in for your own further study. Can we all do this together? Yeah. All right, let's do it then. What we're going to do to start is we're going to pick up, I introduced this idea to this series two weeks ago when we talked about the temple, this idea of the meta-narrative of scripture. What's the big story? And we dealt with this when we talked about understanding what does it mean that we are his temple? To understand what it means that we are his temple, we had to kind of look at the whole big story to understand how big of a deal that is to God. Are you tracking with me? Anybody here for that? And it was, it was a lot, but it was helpful, yeah. right? Yes. Yes. Yeah, Andrew, it was awesome. It was so helpful. We should do that again. Cool. We're going to do that again. Because uh, for the... And, and this is important why. For the sake of, of this series, we could say that, that the meta-narrative of Scripture is kind of like one coin with two sides on it. There's a temple side of the meta-narrative, and then there's a people side of the meta-narrative. And they're kind of the same thing, but they're different sides of the same coin. Are you tracking? So that's why we're going to review this again. We're going to go through start to end, but we're going to do it from the people side because we already did the temple side. And you'll see overlap. And if you missed it, it's okay. So we're going to start there. So buckle up, put on your big kid boots, because we're starting in Eden. So the Bible starts with creation. God creates the heavens and the earth. Then he says, let us make man in our own image. That's where people get introduced to the scenario. So God does that, and then he plants, like we talked about, he plants this garden temple, and he places man in this garden temple, not just a physical garden, but and not just attend to a physical garden, but to minister to the Lord as his priests in his temple on his earth because they're his, because he made them. People are made for the expressed purpose of being God's people. That's not secondary. God thought, I want people. So he made people. 
to bear his image. Everybody say purpose. purpose. That is the purpose of humanity. Purpose of humanity existing. But people sin and they go against that purpose. That's Genesis 1, 2, and 3. We get to Genesis chapter 6, and this whole sin thing's been going on for a while. And Genesis 6, starting in verse 5, tells us this. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Hate to say it, but been there. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man who I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Jump to verse 18. But I will establish my covenant with you. God is speaking to Noah. But I will establish my covenant with you. And you shall come into the ark. You, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. The flood comes. The flood subsides. And we jump to Genesis chapter 9 and verse 1. And God blessed Noah and his sons, and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Is this sounding familiar to anybody from Sunday school? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And then verses 7 through 17. This is going to be long, but I want you to listen for some repeated words here. And you, be fruitful and multiply. Increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. It is for every beast on the earth. I will establish my covenant with you that never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of my covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. Then the bow is in the clouds. I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Everybody say covenant. 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 The purpose of people is for people to be God's covenant people. The purpose of people is for people to be God's covenant people, to be his possession, to be his temple, to be his body, to be his people. That's why you're here. That's why we're all here. Covenant's kind of a big topic, but we're just going to lay it there. That's what God means when he talks of covenant, when the Bible speaks of covenant. This is what God is doing when he's making covenant with his people. He's saying, I'm covenanting with you that you will be mine. You cannot think of covenant and people separately. People are to be covenanted to God, and God makes his covenant with people. And so with the flood, we could say thematically speaking, we see a recreation. And God seals it by setting things on their original trajectory with 
a covenant. We see this recreation in a way of all things and God saying again, be fruitful and multiply. You are my people and I am your God. That's what we're doing here. To the next two chapters, Genesis 10 and 11, we get the whole Babel situation. Noah and his descendants, they do indeed begin to multiply, but it doesn't take long for them to show they're just as bad as everybody who just got wiped out. There's something sinful in the heart of man, and it takes over, and we come to the Tower of Babel, which is not about God not wanting people to build big buildings. doesn't make the Burj Khalifa demonic or anything like that. I've heard about it, okay? This, this story is not about God not wanting tall buildings. The language that is used throughout the story about this tower and this whole scenario makes it clear that what's happening here is there's this effort that humanity is making to build a temple for themselves in their own name. And again, we're not going to get into all the language stuff like with Eden. You know how I told you just roll with me for now. You can read about it later. It's temple language. Same thing is true for this tower of Babel. And this whole idea of name, uh, God has already up to this time been speaking. This idea of covenant in is, goes back to Eden when God says, they will bear my image. Humans have my name on them. And you read the Babel language and they're saying, let's build for us a temple for our own name. It's the rebellious heart of man that's happening here at Babel. I'm going to move on. If you're with me, let's keep going. If you're not, pick up at a point you find yourself you can pick up at. So instead of carrying the name, the image of God, instead of being covenanted to God as his people, people wanted to build temples to elevate themselves so they could live essentially being made for their own name, for their own image, live on their own terms. And this is in direct opposition to the entire purpose of people being created in the first place. Gets us all the way to Genesis 12. We're going one chapter at a time through the whole Bible. <laughs> Genesis chapter 12, we get Abraham. And again, you could look at this in a, from the thematic side of things. And what we see is a, basically, again, another recreation of God recreating a people for himself and making covenant with them. And he does it out of chaos. In Genesis, he, the spirit was hovering over the chaos, over the waters of the deep. And God pulls out a people, creates a people for himself. God pulls out a people for himself out of the chaos of the wicked world in the flood. And now God is picking out a man for himself out of the chaos of a rebellious world. Genesis 12, 1 through 3 says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Abram then becomes Abraham. He and his sons become what are known as the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and then Jacob. Jacob gets renamed Israel. Now we're on track. Now we've got Israel in the story. And then to each of these generations, God doesn't just make his covenant to Abraham, but in the Isaac and Jacob story, again, God continues to come and say, I'm making my covenant with you. It still stands. And so he continues to reaffirm that this, he is the God of covenant and he's covenanting himself to people. And it's important to note that Abraham 
changes his name from Abram to Abraham, which doesn't mean just the father of a nation. It means the father of many nations. The covenant with Abraham was never meant to be only for a single ethnic or political people. From the beginning, God's heart has always been for all people to be his. And Romans unpacks for us that Abraham wasn't the father, just the father of ethnic Israel. He is the father of all of those born by faith. He is the father of faith in whom, and we are all his sons through faith. We'll read more about that later, but just want to insert that here. Back to the story. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, then a lot happens. Slavery in Egypt, Moses, Bush, burning, Pharaoh, plagues, things, desert, freedom. Headed to the promised land. Complain. Stop. Walk in circles. Mount Sinai. Okay? So that's how we get to Mount Sinai. Where God gives the Ten Commandments and the law. And everybody who was lost said, I've heard of those. All right, we're all back. God gives the Ten Commandments and the laws. Okay, so again, this, this isn't just a ceremony of God giving rules to people. This is God taking a people out of slavery, out of having no identity, out of having, they've got no nation, they have no society, they have no culture, they have nothing in and of themselves. They've been slaves for generations and generations, and God pulls them out. Now they're stuck in a desert, and he's calling them out for himself, and he's explaining to them that he hasn't ever forgotten them. He's, he's saying, no, you're still my people. I haven't forgotten you which is what he told Moses to tell them, I've heard your cries, I've seen your pain, I have found, and I have come. And so he pulls them to Mount Sinai, and he's telling them, you don't know who you are, but you are my people, and I am your God. I have chosen you, and I have set you apart so that, you can, so that I can reveal myself to you so that you can reveal me to all nations. The whole point was that they were to be the vehicle by which God revealed himself to everyone. This is at Mount Sinai, like in Genesis 12, 13, 14, and 15. This is the covenant ceremony. This is a covenant ceremony where God is outlining the terms of this covenant. This is a marriage ceremony where God is establishing the house as he brings his people in. This is who I am. This is how we work, and this is how it's going to be structured. This is how we're going to live together. Throughout the entire law and the rest of the Old Testament, God makes it clear in so many ways that his people are a chosen people, and that being chosen means something. It means something. Being chosen meant you are expected to live chosen. So that those who aren't a chosen people will see what it is to be a chosen people and will, be, and will desire to be chosen and be grafted in to the chosen people by submitting to the God who chooses. This is partly why God judges Israel so severely when they don't live chosen. 
When they don't live chosen, not only are they sinning against God, but they're disregarding all the other people that God is calling to himself. We're going to skip a lot, but land on some bottom lines here. The rest of the Old Testament is the outworking of all of these dynamics of God has chosen people. People continue not to choose God, but God continues to choose people. And we're working that out. God is calling. He's not just choosing Israel and calling to Israel. God God is calling all nations to himself. And along the way, he makes so many promises, so many declarations, so many prophecies. He, see, he says, basically, you, you've, you've all totally ruined this call to be the shepherds of the nation. So I myself will be the shepherd of my people that the world needs. I myself will become their shepherd. He says, I, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. Isaiah 56, 6 through 8 can serve as our summary of this point for this morning. It says, and the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him. To love the name of the Lord and to be his servants. Everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant. These I will bring to my holy mountain. And make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifice will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. Then we have an angel appearing to a virgin girl named Mary and telling her that she, will con- she has conceived by the Holy Spirit, he who is the Son of God. Luke 1 says that he will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his king and of his kingdom there will be no end the angel tells mary he will be king over the people of god and his kingdom won't be limited to a land or an ethnicity or a time frame it will be boundless Eight days after Jesus' birth, he's taken to the temple and Simeon prophesies by the Holy Spirit in Luke 2. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light of revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of your people, Israel. John the Baptist speaking to God's chosen people who have been marked by the blood of a lamb that God had used as a sign that the angel of death would pass over them because they are chosen. He sees Jesus walking down the road and he declares to these people, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And all of this, all of this time, all of this buildup, all of this prophecy, all of this history leads us to a small table in an upper room in Jerusalem. On the night when Jesus is about to be betrayed so that he can be crucified, Jesus sits at this little table in this little room in this little town in this little nation in this little part of the world and he gives his disciples bread 
And he tells them, take, eat. This isn't just bread. This isn't the body of birds or oxen or sheep or rams. This is my body broken for you. And he takes the cup and he tells them, take, drink. This is the new covenant. This is the new covenant. My blood. My blood poured out for the forgiveness of many. It is finished. The veil tears. The stone rolls away. The spirit is poured out. And like we talked about two weeks ago, God consecrates for himself a new temple, not by building a new building with brick and stone, but the flesh and blood of people. He commissions and consecrates for himself his people, his church, purchased in his own blood, chosen by him, he, chosen by he himself, and commissioned by his body and his blood to fulfill his will by the power of his spirit. And then we read the rest of the New Testament where the word of the Lord unpacks for us, here's who you are now. Here's what it means that you are this fulfillment of the covenant to be the people of God. Galatians chapter 6, like we read, summarizes the significance of all that I've been trying to communicate this morning and all that really the entire letter of Galatians is about. Verse 16 starts and he says, and as for all who walk by this rule, this rule meaning the encapsulation of the entire letter of Galatians where he's been teaching them not to get distracted by any lies that would tell us that we're saved by our religious works according to the law or we're saved by our ethnic identity according to our natural genealogy or we're saved by anything according to the flesh. We are saved by grace through faith through Jesus Christ and this life we now live, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us and we walk in our our salvation, not by falling into accordance of the flesh, but by keeping in step with the Spirit of God. He says, and as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Our friend David Campbell says, the church portrayed as God's Israel emphasizes its place in God's covenant purpose. We, the church, are God's covenant people. That is our purpose. So what does that mean? Where do we go from there? I'm glad you asked. If you've been lost to this point or if you're overwhelmed, we're all going to take a deep breath together. Ready? Okay. The way I want to finish our time together is by leaning on something we talked about last week. We looked at Ephesians 5 last week where Jesus says through his word to us, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify her, 
having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So what I want to do is remind you of who you are according to the Bible. Kind of like I do to my kids sometimes. This is who you are. Now, how, how can we act more like it? We are loved and chosen. 1 Peter 2.10, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Colossians 3.12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. 1 Thessalonians 1, for we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. 2 Thessalonians, but we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Titus 2, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. We, the church, are saints. 2 Corinthians, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Ephesians 5, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. We, the church, are Abraham's descendants. Galatians 3, and if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to the promise. Romans 4, that is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the, of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist, in hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. And he had been told, so shall your offspring be. Galatians 5. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, and you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. We are, we the church are children adopted by God. 
John 1, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Galatians 3, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, nor there is neither There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Galatians 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Ephesians 1, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Philippians 2, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish. In the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Matthew 6, 9. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Romans 8. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit, that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. We, the church, are bondservants of Christ. First Peter 2, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Romans 6, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. Revelation 1, 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave to him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. We the church are a kingdom of priests. 1 Peter 2, you yourselves are like living stones, like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Revelation 1, 5. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom. Priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever. Amen.
What is God doing when he says all that? God, what are you doing? He's fathering you. He's prompting you to help you remember who you really are. And he's calling you to live more like it. So rather than me zero in on something for a few minutes here at the end, I simply leave you with the question. As you sat under that washing of the word, is there anything that your father is trying to cleanse you of right now? If there is, let him do it. Surrender. Say, Lord, you're right. That's dirty. Clean it off and help me leave it in this nasty bathtub when I get out of here and walk out. That you might sanctify me. And as part of your people, I would contribute to this goal of yours that you would present in splendor to yourself, us, the church, without wrinkle, without spot, without blemish. I surrender. Would you stand as we close this morning? Our prayer team is gonna be available if you need prayer for anything in your life. Whatever the Lord is cleansing you of this morning, let him wash you. Let him wash you in his grace and his mercy. Let him father you and remind you who you really are. Let him fill you with his spirit to empower you to walk it out. Lord, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for your word that in this few minutes of response, you would come and divide between bone and marrow, spirit and the flesh, Lord, and you would take the things off of us that don't line up with this new creation that we are. Pray, God, that we would be so quick to repent from the gift of your glorious conviction in our lives. Come and cleanse us and wash us. Humble us under your mighty hand. Fix our eyes on you. In Jesus' name, let's worship together.